As you remain standing, let us pray. Gracious Father, we do ask that you would show us Christ in your word today. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, that we might see Jesus and know what it is to follow him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? Well, this morning, we conclude our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We've spent the summer walking through this great sermon to see what it is to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Along the way, we've heard Jesus teach us things that are comforting and things that are challenging. He's challenged us to follow him faithfully and called us to a deeper understanding of what life with Jesus is all about. And so how does he bring this great sermon to an end? I think he would the way any good preacher would. By filling his listeners with overwhelming fear, of course. Those of you who were here last week might be wondering to yourselves, why on earth are we reading verses 21 through 23 again? Why are we highlighting for the second week in a row that there are people who claim to follow Jesus and even seem to do amazing things in his name, and yet they'll ultimately be condemned? Again, the answer is pretty obvious, isn't it? I just like filling people with existential dread. I just bring you here to scare you. Might be a bit more to it than that. So last week, we spoke about two gates and two paths. One that leads to life, and one that leads to condemnation. This week, Jesus speaks of two foundations. One that is strong and stable, and one that is shaky and ends in ruin. And we find our terrifying verses in between these two sets of choices, these two images. And so we want to address it within the context that Jesus has given us. And so this morning, we're going to engage with this image as an image of one with no foundation at all. Then we're going to look at what it means to build a firm foundation. And then finally, what it is that gives security to our foundation. So let's look at these verses that bother so many Christians. Verses 21 through 23. As I said, this is a picture of life with no foundation at all. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here we have a group that seem to be faithful. Who say the right things, even going so far as to preach Jesus to the nations. That's what prophesying is here. Declaring Christ. Here Jesus is giving an extreme example to make the point that there are those who claim to be Christian, 
even telling other people about Jesus, and yet never truly being submitted to him as Lord. It's those who give verbal or intellectual assent to the teaching of the Bible. But it hasn't changed them. It's like the politician who shows up at the charity event for as long as the media are there. But the second the cameras turn off, they're nowhere to be found. And when you think about it, it makes perfect sense that Jesus would be addressing people like this. After all, his biggest criticism throughout his ministry is of those who love to look and sound the part, but inside are rotten to the core. That's the concern here. And so the goal is not to terrify, but to call for an honest assessment of our own hearts. To ask ourselves, do I truly believe what I say I do? You see, the shakiest foundation we can build on is that which looks strong and stable, but deep down, it actually isn't anchored to anything at all. That's what Jesus is concerned about. So what is a firm foundation? then? If that's what we're trying to avoid, what's the alternative? And how do we build it? Well, Jesus says in verse 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The contrast comes in verse 26, where the foolish man hears the words of Jesus, but does not act on them. Both men have heard the word of God, but only one acts upon it. The other one might pay lip service to it, as we read about in verses 21 through 23, but there's no genuine faith there. And the evidence of their lack of faith is their lack of genuine action. The things they do, it's all about just checking the boxes. Doing the thing you think you should do, but only because you think you're supposed to do it. Some sort of sense of duty. Or making yourself look good, trying to convince God and other people that you actually are as good as you're trying to look. And so there's two different pitfalls here. Two different ways you can have a shaky foundation. The first is that lip service, the the fake it till you make it sort of attitude. The other is to assume that we can simply believe in Jesus but then never have to do anything about it. Right? My faith is my own. You can have your faith. This is my faith. It's private. It's me. And I'm just going to keep it that way. Never actually living that faith out in any way. Jesus here provides the correctives that we need, thankfully. First, he calls us to hear and to receive his word. The wise builder here, he receives Jesus' teaching. He has faith in him. The word of God has sank deep within his heart. And it lays the foundation for him to build from. 
Right? The evidence that this has occurred is not only declaring that Jesus is Lord of your life, but also living in a way that shows Jesus to be Lord. Serving other people in joy, not compulsion. Almost like what we heard about in Paul's letter, right? In Philemon this morning. Leaving it up to Philemon to act out of joy, not compulsion. <coughs> to seek to bless people, not because you want glory for yourself, but simply to bless people. Or to use the example I gave earlier, to be the one who serves not when the cameras are on, but when no one is watching at all. I was telling some people earlier this morning, one of my favorite things about being ordained is the amount of times somebody will say or do something in front of me, then they find out I'm a priest, and their response is, I should not have done that in front of you. I should not have said that at all. Well, I mean, the truth is, if you're saying you're doing something that you shouldn't in front of a priest, chances are you shouldn't be saying you're doing it at all, right? Seems a pretty simple truth, but I can't tell you how many times it's happened to me. I think it's one of the joys God gives to those who are ordained. <laughs> Here's the truth, folks. The person you are when no one is watching, that's who you are. Because that's when you let your guard down, right? That's when you think it's safe to do or say whatever is in your heart. It's like when you're dating someone, you think you know them, right? And then you get engaged, you get married, and everything's wonderful. Well, it's just been the first date over and over again, right? It's just been best foot forward over and over again. And then you get married, and it turns out they put the toilet paper on the wrong way. <laughs> or the toothpaste thing, right? You properly roll it up from the bottom, and they just squeeze the middle, right? You start seeing who they really are. We keep trying to put the best foot forward all the time because we want to look the part. That's a problem. That's what Jesus is trying to address. Because if you are unwilling to follow Jesus in your life when no one's watching at all, you got to ask, is he really Lord of your life? And no, he doesn't have an opinion on the toilet paper roll. That was just an example. <laughs> Friends, Jesus cares about who you are all the time. Not just when you're out in public. And so we do need to ask ourselves, why do I do what I do? In public or in private, why am I living the way I'm living? Am I trying to look the part or am I trying to curry the favor of the crowd? Or am I actually motivated by the truth of God's word? Do I believe that loving and submitting to Jesus actually means loving other people and seeking their good not because I get anything out of it, but because that person's blessed. That's what James is getting at when he calls us to be believers and doers of the Word of God. 
In a passage that leaves many Christians scratching their heads, James writes that faith without works is dead. Often we read that and we think, okay, so then I'm saved by the things I do, right? Well, no. No, you're not. Praise God for it. But it means that claiming faith in Christ without seeking to live it out, without seeking to put that faith into action, is evidence that there is a giant crack in your foundation. You can imagine being a homeowner, seeing a crack in your foundation, and just being like, yeah, I'm going to leave that alone. I'm just going to pretend that's not there, and hopefully I'm going to come back in four or five weeks, and it'll be gone. Magic. That's what faith not lived out is like. It's a giant crack, and if it's not addressed, it's just going to grow, and eventually the whole house is coming down. Now, I do want to be clear about something here. Putting faith into action is going to look different for different people at different times in their lives. It does not look the same for each and every one of us, right? If you're the the single parent or the stay-at-home parent, I'm guessing you don't have endless hours to volunteer at a homeless shelter, right? Or if you're getting a little older, I'm guessing you're not going to be serving through manual labor, right? That's okay. You can still pray for people. You can't be too old or too young to pray. Or maybe you do have a couple minutes, not to to go volunteer, but to pick up a phone and call that person you know is struggling. Or maybe you might be able to say to that single parent, hey, why why don't you drop the kids off for a little bit so you can... Get done whatever you need to get done, or, you know, have an hour to yourself once in a while. Maybe you can't mow the lawn or trim the hedges, but you can knit the blanket that keeps a homeless person warm. The point of this passage is not to sit with your checklist of all the good things and make sure you're hitting them every single day. The point is to ask Ask the Lord to give you that heart that seeks to serve and bless however that looks in your capacity and context. That we would ask him to give us a faith that is alive and active. A heart that's submitted and obedient. And so the question that comes up now is, how do I know I'm building the right foundation? Well, first, let me say, you don't find it out by playing the comparison game. You don't start looking around at everyone else and thinking, wow, that guy's not doing anything, and I'm doing a ton, so if he must be in trouble, I'm great. This foundation is a below-the-surface thing, isn't it? We often miss how strong a foundation actually is is. Jesus here is calling us to self-reflection, not comparison. And the truth is, most of the time, the strength of our foundation is not going to be revealed until times of challenge come. 
Notice that in our passage here, Jesus presents two builders, one with a firm foundation, one built on shifting sand. In both cases, floods, wind, and rain come in fury. Now, first of all, that tells us that having times of struggle and difficulty are not necessarily evidence of a lack of faith or of sin. They come in everyone's life. Even the most faithful and sanctified among us will face trials. In fact, I would argue they're likely to face more trials, not less. It's the way we respond to those that shows what or who we have built our lives upon. I know from my own experience what it is to face trials with Jesus and without him. What it is to lose people with Jesus and without him. And so I can tell you without hesitation, it is the challenges of life that reveal where your foundation is laid. It took me years to see it. But when my mother died, one of the things I can see now, looking back, is how shaky my foundation really was. Because my response to that was not to lean in and trust the Lord and believe in Him with my life and receive His comfort and His peace. That wasn't it at all. I got angry. I got really angry. And it was really angry with Him, above all. It came out to other people. I was angry with him. I blamed him and acted like death is all his fault. It's the feeling that so many of us have when we face that hard time. We say things like, Lord, if you really were who you say you are, you would not have allowed this to happen. Right? It goes all the way back to the beginning. It was the very instinct that Adam had after the fall in the garden. God comes to him, and Adam's response is, this is because of you, not me. You made the woman, and she made me eat, so it's all your fault, God, not mine. When our foundation is built on anything other than Jesus, on his word and his power, when the trials come, our spiritual houses collapse. And great is the fall. It shows we've been paying lip service to him, assuming that God is there to serve us rather than empowering us to love him and serve others. It took years for me to realize how fragile my faith really was. I told people I was a Christian. Kind of like that person we heard about, verses 21 through 23. I was declaring Jesus all the time. There's no submission in my life. No obedience. No genuine faith. Eventually, Jesus drew me back to him. And showed me what it is to genuinely follow him. He used his word, times of deep prayer, faithful believers who comforted and convicted me. This is not a story of how great I am, look at how I rebuilt my life. 
Because on my own, I'd still be the guy in verses 21 through 23. This is about Jesus taking what is broken and making it whole again. Of taking a foundation that was built on sand and making it firm. It's about what he did. And because of what he has done, I've had hard times since, but the foundation is different. I don't assume that all is lost. I don't assume that there's no way forward anymore. Rather, I turn to God and I ask him to keep me upright, to keep me walking with him, to comfort me so that I might learn through those struggles and then be able to comfort others who face the same thing. You wouldn't imagine the amount of people that God has put in my life that have faced the same things that I have throughout my life. And now I can tell them the deep difference that Jesus makes in those moments. None of that is possible because I willed it to be so. I didn't will it to be so. It's because of him who makes our foundation secure. And that's our last point in this series. To put it simply, there's something different about Jesus. Verse 28, we read, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. There is something different about Jesus. He has an authority and a power unlike any other. The power and the authority to look at us and say, You know what? Some of you aren't following me the way you should. But here's the way forward. He's the one who has the power and authority to say, you know what? Some of you have built a life on things that cannot stand. On false teaching, on trusting in material possessions, or jobs, or pensions. But none of that will stand when you need it to. He sees us for who we really are. He sees us for who we are in private and in public. He knows our hearts because he's God. He knows us in ways that we would never want anyone to know us, but thanks be to God, he does, so that he can address what we need. All through this great sermon, he's been trying to get to the heart of the matter so that each and every one of us can see our need for him, to see the truth that we cannot save ourselves, that we could never live up to the ridiculously high standard that he sets in this sermon. We can't even fake it well. But he does it not to scare us, but to draw us back to him. Build your life upon me. That is the call of this sermon. There's something different about Jesus. And we are either building on him or we're not. We are either following him and submitted to him or we are not. We are either secure in him or we are not. Those are the paths in front of us. The entire purpose of the sermon is to show our need for Jesus and how by his power we are able to follow him. There's something different about Jesus, friends. 
And he calls us to build upon him a life that looks different because it's built on a different foundation. And in the process, we are blessed and we reveal the truth of how God can act in our lives to change us, to bless us, and to secure us even in the most difficult times. There's something different about Jesus. Thanks be to God, we can have it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.